0: Before we begin this week's show, we want to tell you about something else you can listen to instead. And uh, why, why not try NPR's Politics Podcast? Every day during the conventions, the NPR Politics team is going to be releasing a new episode. That's fresh content every day. That's five times you don't have to listen to this show.
1: You can uh, find the NPR Politics Podcast on the NPR One app or at npr.org slash The Summer Olympics in Rio are right around the corner. And there are sports that every, everyone is excited about. Swimming, uh, maybe... Gymnastics. M- gymnastics, maybe watching Usain Bolt in his final Olympics. The javelin these days does not get a lot of attention. But we've learned something that may make it a, a little more interesting for you to watch.
0: On the line with us now is Gareth Goh. He worked at the 2012 Olympics in London. So, Gareth, can you tell us how they get the javelins back to the competitors after they throw them?
2: Sure, sure, sure. So when you've got events like the javelin, the hammer, and discus, like these these objects get thrown a good 70, 80 meters a lot of the time. And um, transporting them back to the athletes is obviously a bit of a logistical nightmare um, without some kind of system of doing it. And so I'm not sure when the whole kind of... um, Vehicular transport started, but I know for London they had these cute little um, mini minis, is what they called them. And essentially, what would happen is that when these um, javelins were thrown, um, the officials would just put them in the, the uh, little remote-controlled car, and someone would be controlling that car and driving it back to the athletes, then to use again.
1: And you said it was a mini mini. Was it? Did it look like a Mini Cooper?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the idea of it.
0: So, so you throw a javelin or a discus. Uh, super far and someone goes out, puts it in a little car, yep. and then someone uses a remote control to steer it back to the person that threw
2: it. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and you were the uh, the man in London who was driving the car.
2: I was fortunately enough. Um, still like, can't believe I, I can say that to this day but no, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had personally,
1: yeah. I think of uh, modern Olympics as being such a controlled, orchestrated uh, thing. Did they give you very specific instructions about where to drive the car and how to do it?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously they wanted it to be as professional as possible. And I think they they had a lot of trust in us because if we did our job badly it could really hold up the event and look a bit like sloppy uh, from the organizer's point of view
1: yeah
2: so we all it was in our, all of our best interests do as good a job as possible um i think probably the biggest difficulty we had was trying to keep a track of which car was yours so because all the cars looked identical at, at, at any kind of given moment they'd have maybe two or like three or four cars out there um, uh-huh. to like make the whole process as efficient as possible but if you kind of lost track of which car was yours and you were holding like forward on your controller and you thought your car wasn't moving but secretly off onto the side it was veering off um, almost onto the track. That could be a bit of an issue. Wow! Um, so that happened a couple of times for a few of us but luckily we um, didn't interrupt any races like, in, the, in that sense so that was fortunate on our part.
0: Wait, so it's possible that it would be like on the track where they're running where Usain Bolt is about to run?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean Generally, for the big races, they'd um, suspend the field events for a while, so that is like silent in, in the track. But de- definitely during like, the long distance um, events, where the, the athletes are running around the track uh, for a pretty long time, there is definitely the opportunity for one of us to roguely drive a car onto the track. <laughs> um, and it, it certainly came close to it a few times, but luckily we managed to we managed to avoid it.
0: So okay, so we have uh, the Rio Games coming up soon. Mm. Another Summer Olympics. <laughs> Are you ever, I mean, is that a story you would ever pull out on a date to impress somebody?
2: <laughs> to be to be fair, I, I reckon at this point, most people who know me generally like know that I've done it. <laughs> it's not something I tend to keep under wraps anyway. Uh, but no, I mean, it, 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 this is as good a year as I need to bring it out. I, I agree with you.
0: <laughs> you got to capitalize on it. I mean, this uh, is absolutely,
2: it. Absolutely. I mean, it's only once every four years.
0: <laughs> well, Gareth, uh, thanks for telling us your story.
2: Yeah, no worries, buddy.
1: Hey, you may know that we, um, months ago, made a How to Do Everything calendar, which had a number of holidays uh, which were entirely made up.
0: And if you have that calendar, you know that this Friday is Christmas.
1: It's a, like, uh, like Christmas, but uh, with just Chris, just uh, you know, people named Chris.
3: Hey, Mike and Ian, this is Jason. My coworkers and I have been doing our best to celebrate the holidays on your calendar. Um, but we're having a hard time figuring out how to celebrate Christmas day on July 22nd. Any help would be appreciated. Thanks guys.
0: You know what? that's a great question Jason and what we want to do is we want to help you celebrate Christmas uh, by giving you some examples of Chris's you can honor on this day. The great Chris's of history.
1: Do you know somebody named Chris Trokey Have you ever heard of Chris Troche? Never heard of that person. Chris Trokey 30 years ago, was born premature. Okay. And a doctor Named Michael Shannon saved his life.
0: Oh, but there's a there's an actor named Michael Shannon, but it's
1: not him. Uh, don't don't get caught up in that. Okay. So in 2011, Dr. Shannon was pinned inside a burning vehicle after a car accident. Uh huh. Chris trokey, the baby who he saved, now grown up, was a paramedic on the scene, saved him. So now Chris. Yeah has uh, sort of returned the favor, saved his life, uh, and Dr. Shannon is Chris's son's pediatrician now.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. That's, like, actually amazing.
1: Yeah. So what you do is you go out, save someone's life. Who previously saved your life? Or 30 years from now will, will then save your life. Either way works.
0: This is just an odd note, a side note, mm-hmm. but um, my name is Mike. My brother's name is Chris. My sister's name is Shannon. I, I
1: feel like the coincidence I just mentioned where a um, man was saved as a baby and then came back and saved the doctor's life, I feel like that is uh, maybe more significant, but...
0: I might be biased.
1: I think another Chris that we could talk about is maybe Chris the Sheep from Australia. Have you ever heard of Chris? No. Okay, so this is actually worth pausing the podcast for a moment, if you want, and Google uh, Chris Sheep Australia, okay? okay. Because uh, Chris the sheep, uh, I guess, w- wandered around and never wanted to be sheared. Uh-huh. So they, they finally got him. He's just covered in wool. It does not look like a normal sheep. They finally sheared him. It took 42 minutes take off his fleece okay and it weighed 90 pounds wow yeah chris the sheep he's the the record holder for the most wool on a sheep
0: that's extraordinary
1: so i think this week uh, on christmas put on a wool sweater mm-hmm. go outside in the heat be very uncomfortable just as chris likely was
0: before he was shorn chris the sheep yes probably my favorite chris I, again I feel selfish mentioning this, uh, is my brother Chris. Uh-huh. We have a tradition in my family during the other Christmas and that uh, in our family Christmas won't start until my brother eats a cracker which is called Chris's Christmas Cracker. And there is a, usually a Ritz cracker, sometimes a Trisket, that has been gift wrapped and it is under the tree or in on the tree and we, we will not start until Chris eats his Christmas cracker.
1: Okay, so do you have,
0: do you have any idea where, the, where from the tradition came? I think he was probably eating a cracker. And we had to wait for him to finish before we could open our presents. It's like, a, like the torch lighting of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's something we all look forward to because then we know that the main event is about to start. How does your brother feel about this? Well, I think he relishes it. I think yeah. it's like it's a, it's a moment when all eyes
1: are on him. And does he eat the cracker with flourish? Absolutely.
0: Yeah? Yeah, maybe a little too much. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's a nice, uh, that's a nice Christmas tradition that, mm-hmm. that everybody should do this week, is have a, have a cracker, ra- wrap up a cracker, unwrap it, and then have uh, maybe the sort of guest of honor at your Christmas dinner or lunch mm-hmm. eat the cracker.
0: Yeah, so before everything else begins, maybe start it with a traditional Chris's Christmas Cracker.
1: I think another Chris we should talk about is uh, Chris Niswander. Chris is a programmer. He's online with us now. Chris, can you tell us about your program PawSense?
3: Yes. What what originally happened was that my sister was using her computer and uh, her cat got involved and got on the keyboard and... I, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, keyboard shortcuts, you know, control something or alt something, and then something happens. So my sister's cat managed in, in the course of a few seconds to delete some things and crash the computer. Wow. So this started off as, you know, a funny story, but then I thought, you know what would be really funny? would be to actually put together a piece of software that would monitor the typing style and then if it detected a, cat, a more cat-like typing style then it would block the typing whoa so so then it it would block the typing it would pop up a window or a screen that says cat-like typing detected <laughs> And then it gives you the opportunity either to use your mouse, to click on uh, a button on the screen that says, let me use the computer, or it, if you want, you can type human, the word human.
0: Wow. That's fantastic.
1: So so you made this this uh, software, which essentially detects a cat on the keyboard and, and um, freezes out the cat if necessary. Have you heard from any users about it, it actually being effective in that way?
3: Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's actually It actually works pretty well.
1: Well, Chris, thank you so much for talking to us about this. And uh, Merry Christmas.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, have, a nice,
0: have a nice Christmas. So, yeah, so uh, happy, happy Christmas.
1: So, yeah, I think the thing to do is get a cracker, put on a wool sweater. Think of all of these Chrises uh, that have given us so much. So much wool
0: in the case of Chris the Sheep. At at the least.
1: Hey, we want to thank our sponsors this week for giving us the money it takes to uh, continue doing this program.
0: And uh, for whatever reason, we just have one sponsor this week. It's Casper, an online retailer for mattresses.
1: Casper Mattresses are American-made and obsessively engineered for comfort. They use two technologies... Latex foam
0: and memory foam. And that combination gives you just the right amount of sink and bounce. It's a balance between memory foam and latex foam.
1: They have a risk-free trial. You can try out your Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and returns. They say it's outrageous comfort at a polite price. So go to casper.com slash everything to check out their options.
0: And they have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Use the promo code everything to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress, that works for you. Terms and conditions apply. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian?
1: I learned that there is a computer program that will detect a cat is on your keyboard and keep the cat from, from writing.
0: I mean, what a handy thing to have. I mean, if you assuming you have cats. I don't have any cats, but I can see the utility.
1: From, from the human perspective, certainly. But I assume if you're a cat novelist and you've been tossing around an idea uh, oh. for years, and it's time, you know what, it's time to stop thinking about it, and it's time to start writing, and you sit down, and then you're frozen out.
0: That would be so frustrating. You think about all the humans that have writer's block, mm-hmm. and here it's actually like a physical block, something that's preventing you from writing. Yeah. It's just because you're a cat.
1: It's uh, probably, when you look through the great history of world literature no
0: cats yeah think about that think about all the great cat literature that could could have been think uh, Harry Potter for example the cat chur in the rye would be one um, well of mice and men I guess that was a successful mm-hmm. got through
1: well I mean the, the Russians Anna Perenina would mm-hmm. be one the, I mean there's also the uh, the sound in the purry the color purple there's the, again him, uh, Hemingway the old man in the sea a T that would uh, be one
0: Northanger Tabby
1: Salman Rushdie the satanic purises.
0: so Salman Rushdie was also the name of the cat yeah his cat was also named Salman Rushdie yeah nobody issues a catwa against that that pun yeah that probably would offend the Mialatola.
1: how to do everything is produced by nadia wilson with technical
0: direction from lorna white our intern this week is chris lemansky first I, happy christmas chris and uh thanks for all your uh, hard work walking to portugal from Istanbul, Turkey.
1: So we, it, it was an odd request that we had, but it was it was uh, crucial uh, to the production of this week's show.
0: Keep walking, Chris.
1: Our artist-in-residence is Justin Witte.
0: And we also want to congratulate Todd, who is the winner of our Dino Call contest from last week's show.
1: He was the first one to correctly identify the number of dinosaurs populating last week's show. Uh, so, Mary Todmus. Todd. We're sending you a t shirt.
0: You can send us your questions. Send them to us at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian, and I'm Mike. Thanks. Hey,
2: y'all. Sam Sanders here, campaign reporter with NPR News. I am at the airport in Dallas. Um, so, for more than a year, I have been flying all around the country covering the 2016 election. And now, the biggest two weeks of it all are here the Republican and Democratic National Conventions in Cleveland and Philadelphia. It's going to be all over the news, but if the news is a lot to keep up with, do not worry because we got you. Just keep up with the NPR Politics Podcast. Our team will be at the conventions doing quick daily episodes, first thing every morning, every day of both conventions. You will know what's happening, what it all means without the cable news hangover. Daily episodes start Tuesday, July 19th. All right, subscribe to the NPR Politics Podcast at npr.org slash podcast or on the NPR One app. Cool. Thanks. Bye.
1: To Kill a Mockingbird would be, that would, I think a, a cat mm-hmm. would just enjoy that. To Kill, Play With a Little Bit, and then Eat a Mockingbird would have been the full title.